Well, what is going on, everybody? Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 206, and today's episode is a couple of different things. So one is we are coming back around to the Purity Culture series that I had started. We had a gap in there. I took a week off, and then we had the gap in there where I did the whole thing about just being Christ-like in a COVID resurgence. Uh, But I finally had the chance to sit down with my lovely wife and pick her brain, because as I was saying in the series, it was important important to me to have females weighing in on this because I think so often when we talk about the subject, it's men weighing in on it, it's men teaching about it, and I'm like, I think this is missing a big part of the equation, and so I thought it'd be really fun to have Ellen sit down and give kind of the female side of some of this and just let me ask her questions about stuff. So, wife, thank you for actually showing up on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. It's because she loves me. So she's like, you want me to be on the podcast? I'm going to get us in trouble on this podcast. I'm like, come on. You can't get us in trouble. You're too cool for that. So I've been radically blessed by both a brilliant and beautiful wife that has plenty of great stuff to say about this. But before we get started, so last night we were at Valley House. We were getting in the car and uh, my wife teased me and said that we have a little bit of housekeeping to do on this episode because I screwed something up in the episode last time. So, honey, correct me. What, what? Where was my mistake last week on the podcast? Well, it's Ted Lasso, not Ted Laszlo. Although it did make me smile when I listened to his podcast to hear him say Laszlo. Okay, and so for the record, I have to clarify too. So, uh, in the 80s, one of the all-time greatest 80s movies, one of my absolute favorites is Real Genius with Val Kilmer. And the main genius in the movie is Laszlo Hollyfeld. So I think I just get in my mind like Laszlo and then, and I'm awesome at wrecking names. Like it's a skill of mine. I can wreck almost any name I come across. So anyway, I said last week you should watch Ted Laszlo. It should have been Ted Lasso. Lasso. He's from Kansas. He's got a lasso. You, I got to remember it that way. So, and I would still say, hey, I mean, there is certainly language in it, and there's some off-color color humor, but by and large, I think it is such a great picture of like how we can be positive in our world, how we can be encouraging. I mean, I think even the way he faces his enemies is so great because he just loves his enemies. Like yeah. he just thinks the best in people that think he's terrible. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy, like this, whoever has created this character has tapped into, I think, with the essence of what it means to really love your enemies and kind of win them over by just being loving toward them. So great thing nonetheless, but we're not here for that. We are here to talk about purity culture. And uh, I've got a number of questions here on my sheet of paper for you. And by the way, everybody, because my wife is so cool, I haven't even so much as shared with her. She's rolling her eyes right now. For the people watching on the video, you'd be like, she rolled her eyes. We'll see if there's a video. We're doing this a little different than we normally do. So, uh, but, but like I said, I wanted to include her in this in part because I think, you know, we certainly were raised in the, what I'm going to call the the proto-purity culture. In other words, I think since the 60s, we've had a purity culture because the church, of course, was concerned about free love and uh, contraception became a very available thing. And so you had kind of this, I mean, it was always there. Like, you know, people were having sex outside of marriage before that. But I, I think with that whole environment that was there, we grew up in the 80s. You grew up in a Christian home. I grew up in a more kind of a liberal type of home. But there were still all the echoes of that and the challenges of that. And then we got into the 90s and we kind of codified the purity culture with, I guess, dating goodbye and purity rings and everything else. So um, we came up through that. But from that, you then envisioned doing it a little bit differently. Like we still did the purity ring thing, everything else. Mm-hmm. But you felt it was important 
to speak a lot more into the subject of sex raising our kids, not just like the birds and the bees talk ones, but like it was a more ongoing thing. So I'm curious from your perspective as a woman, because I think I, I, if I'm being stereotypical, I think we can look at men and say, well, of course, men want to have that conversation more ready because they're more sexually charged or whatever silly thing we kind of say. But maybe women would be more you know, kind of held back to have those conversations with their kids or whatever else. But that wasn't your philosophy, particular to your daughters, but also your son. So I'm curious from your perspective, why that was important. I think twofold. I wanted my kids to grow up with a healthy view of sex so that it wasn't this um, taboo thing their whole life. And then they get married and now they feel like, wait, this was always wrong. And now I'm supposed to somehow make this right. And it's okay. I wanted to maintain the value and the beauty and and all of that behind that. So I wanted to promote that with the kids and uh, not just even promoting the value of it, but then for them to have a proper understanding, because I know, you know, especially now with what the kids have access to the things that and even when we were kids, stuff got talked about at school and and those places. And I wanted them to be equipped with a proper view as opposed to the view that they would get from their peers. And so it was important for me to promote it in a positive way because it was going to get promoted in their life one way or another. Right. And I wanted to promote it in a more positive way. So then in that, cause I know when we've done like classes before and we've talked about trying to educate our children in matters of sexuality, we've had people say, well, what age do you start? And I know we've kind of said uh, about five, <laughs> you know, it's like right. roughly in that age uh-huh. bracket, but it, you know, then people get super weirded out by that. Like, are you now packing them full of information way ahead of due season? Um, do you remember the names of those books? There are kids' books, and I, I mean, I'll try to... Yeah, when you said that, I was going to think about it, because... Um, and I know we've... And they're definitely age-related, right. which makes them perfect, because it's not like you're giving them every detail to overwhelm, you know, a five-year-old. But a five-year-old is really aware of their anatomy, and that was the other thing, is we, you know, always told our kids the proper anatomical names for <laughs> things when they... We didn't call them these other, you <laughs> That's know... A <laughs> <laughs> That's Although a peanut. That's a flower. <laughs> our son did hear peanut. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he so did. That's true. He That's the little it a kid for a while. So that was cute. But um, yeah, I think giving the proper anatomy and then making it. My goal was to make it so talked about in such a way on a regular basis that it was completely normal and comfortable. That there wasn't right. anything awkward about it at all. That it wasn't like ah, we're oh no, let's not talk about that. You know right. that it was just like oh yeah, like I wanted my kids to feel that way right. so that they could bring that healthy mindset into their relationships as they got older. Right, and then I, this is where it gets maybe a little uncomfortable. So I love you, but it's, I'm here to make you uncomfortable. But thank you for smiling. Yeah, I right don't now. know any of the questions. <laughs> well, and this one I didn't even write down. This is just kind of oh, on the fly. Okay. So, I mean, again, because I think sometimes we'll speak in generalities about it. So when the kids were younger and we could use these books and have those conversations, it was less about it, it was kind of about the mechanics that this is a normal function of human activity within marriage, everything else. But when they got into the teen years and stuff, you did have more specific type conversations oh, with yeah. the kids. Right. So, I mean, you know, I'm sure some people are going to grab their pearls and blush on the other side, but you would talk about like there's oral sex and then yeah, there's definitely. vaginal sex and these and, body parts and the do these things. Of that being something fun and pleasurable in the right context. And I think always bringing it back to that because 
you know, this is God owns sex. Right, <laughs> you right. Know, the world does not own sex. It's not secular, but we act like it sometimes. And so there was a part of me that like, no, I, we're going to reclaim this back. And we're going to, my kids are going to grow up having a healthy perspective in a way that is um, fun and exciting. And, you know, that all the positive elements of it on top of also why it's best in a monogamous relationship with your spouse um, and even that and the benefits that come from that. And those were things we talked about regularly too. But um, on the flip side, just everything about it being such a normal context and conversation. And, you know, and it's funny because my parents, for many of you know that they live with us and I would laugh sometimes because our dinner conversations oh, with would our kids. turn into these things <laughs> with our kids and my mom and dad are sitting at the dinner table with us and you know but my kids were so open about this stuff that it was talked about like you know talking about your tennis shoes or what right, you did right. at school that day it was just normal to them it was never an uncomfortable conversation and so oftentimes things would come up at dinner time and, right. and I would just laugh because my mom and dad would just be sitting there smiling and you know but I think they appreciated it too and um it in some ways I think it was a sweet thing because mm-hmm. it was just like yeah this is normal and this is the way it should be right. um and and it makes me sad that we the church kind of relinquished that to the world because um, in some ways we did. And so th- that was my thing is like, no, we're going to, the church is going to reclaim this and right. we're going to reclaim it in a positive way that it gets promoted even in a positive way. Not right. that it's just okay, but right. we promote it because right. it should be promoted within right. marriage. And, and so if you promote it right when they're younger, then hopefully they can bring that into their marriages when right. they're older. Yeah. And I think there was an interesting byproduct that that we experienced from it that would have been certainly unanticipated, but I think it was because we had all of those conversations. We created this open climate. So even when Gray came out as gay, it made the ability to have even those conversations, I think, a lot easier mm-hmm. than had it been, you know, we, we said purity culture is, uh, you get your one talk, it's for marriage, it's super pure, it has deep value, now let's not talk about it too much anymore. Because if we talk about it too much, we're afraid it's going to incite you all. So instead, we're not, we don't want to spike your your already lustful inclinations. So we don't talk about it, and then you get married, and then suddenly you're supposed to go do all this stuff that's valuable and beautiful, and we've never discussed it beyond one conversation. But I just remember thinking like, wow, the conversations we were able to have with our son, and the things he was able to share with us, I think even... All of those conversations built into him being able to be open with us about a lot of things in the midst of that. So it wasn't just like, I'm gay, but let's not talk about it. We were able to talk about even the things in his world that way. And I thought it was just one of those things in reflection. I thought if we didn't have right. that climate, I'm not sure how those conversations right. would have gone in the same way. So yeah, definitely. So then kind of like building out of that, right? So that's kind of what we had as a vision. And then we have a married daughter, right? So Right. Well, and then that makes me think about uh, I one of the things that always stuck out to me, and I don't even know if you guys will remember the show from years ago. It'll date me. But the show Dharma and Craig and how Dharma <laughs> had grown up in this family that her mom and dad were kind of a little hippie-ish right. and stuff. And, and um but one of the things that stuck out to me in that show is like the mom and dad would be like basically telling Dharma, you know, we're going into our room to have sex, you know, don't bug us, you know, right. and it was just like this, oh yeah, mom and dad are going to their room to have sex. And I, 
I, that was one of those moments where I'm like, oh, that's so great that right. that's a normal thing that right. like for the kids to think about, yeah, mom and dad are in the room. Don't bug them. You right. know, like it's not this like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I can't right. believe, you know, whatever. And so I'm like, I want that normalcy. I want that thing to be like, yeah, it's, it's as important as mom and dad going out for a date or mom and dad, you know, having some time to just talk, right. you know, that it would be that normal. Right. And, um, and so I appreciated it from that show. And I think yeah. that was the thing, like even with our kids and, um, you know, for them to grow up having that same normalcy. Right. Right. And so it was always kind of the joke, like we would say, like, tuck yes. the kids in bed. Now right. the door's going to be yeah. locked. Mom and dad are going to be. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, we went on vacation with some friends once and um, we had um, their child with us. I don't know. When, you'll probably figure out who it is, but I, you'll appreciate it. Um, and um, there, but they hadn't connected the husband and wife for a while and life had been crazy and he was meeting us up there. And so then um, I was like, well, why don't I just keep the kids and we'll go do something fun and you guys can go back to the house and have time together. And so <laughs> the kids knew we were all leaving the house so that they could have their time together. And I'm like, this is great. Like this is, should be celebrated and I love that the kids get to see that this is important and it has value and so we make time for those things when we need to and right. and that's good for kids it shouldn't be this oh my gosh thing right, you know right. and it was cute because we I think we went out to lunch or something and so the kids were like yeah we're hanging out so they can have their time <laughs> that's hilarious so so then with that now again so we have one of our kids is married Second child is on the way. First child is quite adorable and we love to play with all the time. Um, But then that's kind of the proof of, not the proof, it is an evidence of whether this worked, right? In other words, so you raise your kids in a certain way. You give them access to all this information. How does it come out on the other side of their marital life, right? So, and you and Honor talk probably more. I don't mean it specifically. I just mean generically. But you look at that and you go like, they have a healthy understanding or like honor came into her marriage and with a very oh, healthy definitely. and that was a very liberating yes, thing for yeah, her right right and i think a liberating thing for her husband too you right. know to bring that in because i think um you know especially good men and godly men are always a little bit like not sheepish but you know want to make sure they're you know not pushing their wife too much or that because they don't want to sound like a pervert right right, or they don't you know because i think that is a part of we're getting into in a minute i think that's a part of the pressure there and i think to have a wife that's very free and comfortable is a blessing right and you know i think you bringing that into the marriage is you know a positive and healthy thing too and a wife even enjoys it and wants it and a part of her marriage you know she doesn't dread it or isn't you know but she appreciates the value of it right well, then that I'm going to use to pivot into the next question, which is, you know, we're talking about this, you know, like, hey, we wanted to do this a certain way and for these reasons. And we see the dividend paid out now with our oldest child, for example, uh, or we see the dividend paid out in our own life. But let's look at then like the purity culture environment and the things that we've dealt with for 30 years mm-hmm. of counseling people and mm-hmm. premarital or postmarital and all this stuff. So. In your mind, from a female's perspective, you go, here's what I think the damage that was done, all with the right intention, right? We said, Mm -hmm. hey, we want to value this thing. But then in valuing the thing, we applied it as a value system to the person in part. And that was part of the brokenness, I think. You can value a thing, but not saying your value is tied up in the thing, right? And I think that was part of the brokenness. And I think because there was this like purity means kind of silence it's so pure we don't speak of it and then go do it uh that there's all kinds of stuff that gets Mm -hmm. out in there so from your perspective then you go here's what i think 
where, again, the purity culture had a good heart in what it wanted to do, but maybe a really poor application and the result of that that you've seen. Yeah, I think it created fear, a lot of fear for women. And um, and so I think even in, you know, certain situations with um, women that we have or couples that we've counseled and done premarital counseling with when we've had the sex talk and it's been, you know, women that have um, well, one there it's come out, you know, that they've already been sexually active. So then they've bring the shame into their marriage, which then that can create a whole mm-hmm. level of problems, which maybe in part is like your purity is attached to your value and right. you've somehow sold out your value with your selling out your, yeah, yeah totally. right. So that becomes something that definitely has to be worked through. And, and then, um, you know, that just this fear, like I've had, you know, women, young women in tears talking about it because they're freaked out about it because it was, um, you know, they're really, they didn't have all the information that they needed. And because it was, um, so taboo that now it's to even have that conversation is very hard for them as an adult woman. And so if it's hard for them to have that conversation as adult woman with me, then how much harder is it going to be for them to talk about those things with their spouse? Cause that's the other thing that's important is you need to talk about these things with your spouse, what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy, what works, what doesn't work, what, you know, all of those things. And if you can't communicate and, um, openly about sex with your spouse, that's your, that's going to bring baggage into your relationship too. And you will not have as a fulfilling of a relationship. And so I think that the tabooness of it made it, you know, because we don't talk about it really made it this created this element that makes it hard for women to go then into their marriage and be free right? and free to express themselves, free to talk about it, free to love their husband in a, you know, fun and passionate way, you know, all of those things, because then they're having, you know, like we always talk about people have those recorders in their mind or those things, the filters that everything's going through. And so they're thinking, should I really be doing this? Is this dirty? Is this wrong? You know, what would my parents think? You know, all those things because of that, those words that we tell right, them when they're right. young, those have like kids pulled onto those things. Right. And so if those things have been said, then now they have to get past all those things in a relationship where it's supposed to be promoted and positive, And it makes it really hard to make that leap. Right. And um, they're one of the books that I recommend to a lot of people is called sheet music. And I love that book for one of the reasons is that he has a section in the chapter where, you know, he's telling, um, particularly the women, get your parents out of the bedroom. Yeah. You know, you right. have to, and and because that is a thing, you know, I think that it's easy to, and especially if you're a young woman who honored her parents and her valued their, you know, um, thoughts and opinions. And, you know, if you're, you have that relationship, then it's going to even play into it even more. Right. And strangely enough, in a negative way, um, Hmm. instead of a positive way, if that hasn't been something that was promoted when they were younger. And it seems in there too, I think in this process, like, I think we're, we're, both men and women were differently robbed and even inversely how the robbery kind of happens. I think in the purity culture, because there wasn't the mechanics taught, like, you know, I always think about if you're going to teach a kid to drive a car, you wouldn't just be like, well, that's the wheel. That's the brake. That's the accelerator. Go figure it out. You know what I mean? At 16, you can go do this now. Like, no, we're, we're methodical. We put them in classes and we give them all the stuff and we give all the risks and they have six months of practice and all, you know, so like, and that's a car, (laughs) you know, I think, how much more we should be doing this 
in preparing our people for sex. And so in the mechanic side of it, I guess the thing I wonder about or maybe what's unfortunate and then why we've seen some of the collateral damage that comes out the back end in marriage is that you have, um, you know, women who already maybe have a conscience written on that says this is the mixed bag of pure but dirty at the same time. Right. Like it's the bizarreness of it. And then we don't teach men the mechanics of women necessarily. So they don't think in terms of my first job is to bring pleasure to my wife because we go, well, that's a lot of mechanics. That's teaching them about the clitoris and that's teaching them about, you know, penetration versus non-penetration and all these other you know points of pleasure contact on a wife. And so we don't teach all those mechanics. And so they go into their marriage he doesn't quite know how to pleasure her. And so for her, it may not be fun. Right. So then she'll right. clam up more. And then from him, it's confusing because she doesn't seem to enjoy it as much. But right. he hasn't been equipped Absolutely. to meet her needs. I think that's a huge And so, thing. I mean, it's really weird how that cycle then is he ends up robbing her. She ends up robbing him. And they both got robbed because they weren't really well educated, Definitely. which then goes back to your sheet music book. If there's a book that you would recommend, that would be yes, the book. for sure. Yeah. And I think that that is... You know, and you don't have to get in. I mean, just understanding the anatomy and helping a man understand that a woman's pleasure centers are more um, outside the body than even inside the body. And, you know, and so that's why you can be creative with sex and explore and find, you know, what's fun and enjoyable. And um, I think putting it in that context too and so that there is this freedom you know and I even in sheet music he has a section in there that he talks about how you know look at a woman's closet and how many pairs of shoes she has <laughs> he goes and you know so it pretty much that's how sex is for a woman too you know shoes <laughs> what worked she, last week doesn't work last week, those shoes she wore last week she doesn't want to wear them this week she wants to wear these other ones because she thinks they're cuter this week you know so um, and I think there's a lot of truth to that and because the there's a lot going on in the female body it changes and something that maybe felt good to a woman one week doesn't feel as comfortable which then goes back to the whole communicating thing and that doesn't mean something's wrong it's like well let's figure this out let's figure what works and you know and the sad part is is it doesn't just have to be about intercourse and I think we've made it just about intercourse sex is so much more than just intercourse and if it is just intercourse then I think that you're going to have uh, you know, not as a fulfilling sexual relationship with your spouse, especially right. as a female. Right. And so part of that, I think it turns into like how we then is, as Christian uh, leaders or people that have some responsibility to the Christian community need to kind of like what he did, I think in the first episode of the series, but point it back to like song of Solomon and be like, if you just read that and you don't even have to read it with any kind of like, you know, that's what she said mentality. You can right. just simply go like they're bragging about it to their friends. They're doing it at her house, at his house, at her mom's house, outside. Like there's this playful spirit about it that hopefully just and that they're telling the virgins this. So they're instructing right. the virgins and all the stuff that they're doing, that that should be enough for us, even from a biblical perspective to say, like, Matt and Ellen aren't sitting around saying, come on, Christians, we need to lighten up on sexuality, learn from the culture and take it back and make it playful. And it's like, no, God made it playful. Right. We turned it into this yes. sacred thing. Most and I go, definitely. we we almost think that you can't be playful in the sacred, like almost right. and I that think, seems to be the poison. Yeah, and to realize that God takes pleasure in that. Right. He Maybe that's the extra step. Pleasure in right. you 
you're enjoying it and having fun and whatever. Right. Like God's not like kind of putting his no, hand over his eyes going, right. she's I gotta He's put like, up with these yes, married couples. They're doing what I designed them to do <laughs> right. and they're enjoying one another. And this brings me God joy. I mean, right. and it really glorifies God, right. honestly. And and to realize that, right. you know, and to give that to your kids too. Like, no, you right. you're like you're doing what God wants you to do. That's right. a very positive thing. And I think you know, Matt obviously talks to the men. I don't talk to the men, so I think he is open about some of this stuff with the men. But, um, you know, they're going to, if they don't get it from you and understand those things, you know, as fathers talking to their sons or, you know, whatever, or even moms talking to their boys, because I think moms can bring another element. And I, I have friends, women who have worked really hard to have those conversations with their sons in like the importance of pleasuring a woman and right. what that looks like. And if you have that open relationship, then that's something you can talk about. And, um, you know, even with uh, my son-in-law, um, hopefully this isn't TMI, <laughs> but um, I'll go with it, honey. <laughs> yeah. See, I told, I told him I'm going to say too much if I'm on here, but um, you know, because he came out of that purity culture and from that environment, um, you know, and didn't know anything. Um, you know, I had some concerns about what, and you know, Matt too, but about what, you know, how that was going to affect their relationship when they were married. And so I handed him my, three favorite books and said, <laughs> you, you know, go to town. You please. need to, you need right? to do like, some homework before you get married. <laughs> yeah. And this was when, um, they first got engaged. I gave him those books and, but what I appreciated and it ended up happening in a really great way too, was that, uh, the university that they were going to Corbin Christian university, um, they, for their human sexuality class, the teacher taught sheet music <laughs> to, the and it's not a Christian book. The, he's a, a psychologist who wrote it, and he is a Christian, but it's not necessarily a Christian book. And it coming from that perspective, it's very open and probably what some people would consider graphic. Yeah. Um, but I think graphic in a positive way. Again, this goes back to sex and marriage should never be considered graphic. It should right. be considered awesome. Um, and so what was great is they teach that book in that class. Right. And so then of course, um, you know, he ended up taking that class too as well, which was one of the books that I'd given him. So, um, but I thought, wow, how great that the college, this professor is seeing the importance right. of this and, and he is making sure these kids are equipped yeah. in a really positive way. Yeah. Well, I, I got to imagine it's probably the same thing that, you know, we experience in ministry. We talk to other people that do different things in ministry, whether at the collegiate level or in the local church level, but there's a lot of sexual dysfunction within Christian relationships. The dysfunction maybe is different than what you would see in a disbelieving world, but you know, there's still misinformation. There's still a lack of communication. There's still a lack of sometimes intimacy at times, or even like we, we find where a Christian man doesn't want to come across as kind of a pervert to his Christian life. If he's got like, well, I'm going to try this or I want to do that. And so he's worried that he's going to look ungodly to her or, and this is the thing I want to pick your brain on a little bit, you have Christian women that read all of the typical Christian books saying, well, men want it more than women, men want it more than women. So what happens if you're a Christian woman and you're like, I happen to really like this a lot too. Am I dirty now? Like right. that I find this fun or I crave it in some way in my life. Am I now 
broken? Like, is that not a good, demure, right. you know, godly one? Yeah. You know? So that seems to be kind of problematic Definitely. too, right? And I'll go back a step before we get to that because I wanted to also make the comment with, especially with the young men, if you're not um, talking to them about this and equipping this, I guarantee you they're going to end up seeking out porn oh, and yeah. that's going to be their version. Right. And then that's even more unhealthy. Yeah, that's right? what I was going to say. So, like, so then, and then if they've watched porn, they're going to see those things and go, well, this is porn. So it must, must, must be dirty and this is wrong instead of even right. in that. Oh, that's in interesting. Pornography, yeah. A lot of it's good right. in that sense. If it was within in the marriage, context right. of a marriage. If it's but, not the degrading elements of it, then right, the you're like, oh, okay, this, right. It, but, but they're going to take it wholesale. Some of the things that are depicted right. would be positive in marriage, but they're going to take it wholesale or they're going to watch porn that's degrading and then they're going to think that somehow I should have this in my relationship or yeah. that's what be she really wants is what this. she really wants or what I really should get, right. you know? And so then it's all these twisted views and you have, you have to counter that. Right. Like you need to fill them so full that this can't compete with right. what you've given them. And that was kind of my thing. Right. It's like, right. I know it's out there. They're going to get it, whether right. it's from their friends, from, you know, looking at porn, you know, whatever. And so I have to equip them and fill them so full in such a way that they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's, that's stupid. That's wrong. That's not even the right, you know, this is what's right. And, and uh, so that I think is super important. And then did you have something to say? Well, I was going to jump on that really quick and then I'll go back to what I was talking about. But, um, you know, I, I think it's also important even where I think in the third podcast, I advocated for a holiness vision versus a purity vision. And and that the reason being that if we look at even like pornography and we go, this is a purity versus impurity question. I go, well, but more importantly, it's a dignity problem. So, you know, we get locked on to there's there's visual images of people depicting sex and that's the sin. I'm like, well, it's the exploitive nature that's the more deeply problematic right. problem. And so it was even like in raising the kids, I always wanted it to be more like a let's if you can protect human dignity and value then you're going to see the problems of pornography at many levels the the people that are there being yes. exploited the people that are making this are being exploited the people that are using this are ultimately being exploited you know mm-hmm. like this is an exploitation industry way more than it is really a sex industry that's right. the irony of it but i think we lock onto the purity side we forget the human dignity side and therefore it becomes just about sex yeah and and it's also then about law and paul says mm-hmm. law is designed to stir up your desire to sin. So when we say be pure, don't be impure, we're using law where I think when we use holiness, we're using something deeper than law, which is again, God is holy, calls us to be holy. The Holy mm-hmm. spirit is in fact the Holy spirit for reason. So I think it changes the playing field from a rule based system to kind of an inspirational based system. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that part, we kind of handled poorly and we didn't say you don't want to look at porn because it, dehumanizes people. We said, you don't want to look at porn because it'll corrupt your view of sex and then you won't be pure. Right. You know, and it's like, right. well, that's Definitely. sort of incomplete to the bigger picture. Right. So now I think my previous thing was we were talking about how well, women enjoying sex. Right. And they almost then start to feel like maybe I'm a little less godly. Right. If I actually enjoy it, enjoy it, or right. I enjoy variety in it uh-huh. or whatever it is with my spouse, like that they start to think like maybe I'm the dirty girl now. And they're the really godly women. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Which Don't, is so sad yeah. and it's wrong right. because the, God 
created it that way for a reason. And you see that with, you know, even again, we go back to Song of Solomon where she's telling the women all the different ways and where she's going to take her husband and, right. you know, basically have her way with him, right, you right. know, and it's a positive thing. It's a promoted, you know, thing. And so I think that, um, you know, that is important because it, I think a lot in the process of the purity culture, a lot more got put on women than it did hmm. on men. And, um, and I think, you know, we were even having this conversation um, with our middle daughter and she was talking about even the word virgin, you know, that has, it's a female word, you know, right. because it's means men weren't mean. virgins, <laughs> men weren't virgins, <laughs> right, you know? Right. And so to lose your virginity even was that was put on the female. So again, everything was based on this, the female, you know, and the shame for the pe- female, the fact that, you know, the female's hymen gets broken and that's, you know, never can be put back together basically, right. you know, it's, uh, and then all of those things put this pressure on women again. And I think shame and, and just is a lot of weight for a female to carry. And so then she's got to sort through all that and figure out how can, how then can this be positive when it had all of this negative connotation? And so again, uh, we've created those filters, whether we think we have or not. And even the world has, you know, created some of those filters, you know, you're all the female words that, right. You're slutty. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're you're kind of, yeah. You're used goods, you're sloppy seconds. And even, you know, like they talk about, you know, the, I don't remember the one about the flower or something or the, you know, something like deflower or you're basically deflower, but like they used these examples for, you know, during the purity culture to teach things like this is something you can't get back. You know, this is, you know, once you give it away. Yeah. I remember in youth group, we did one once. Well, and it was similar to the one with the rose, but it was, I mean, I'm not trying to throw our old youth pastor under the bus. It was well intended and it was the eighties, but it was where he took out a stick of gum and he gives it to the first person in the row and they start chewing. He goes, now pass it to the next person. Right. Now pass it to the next yes. person. And in the end, you know, like people are suddenly not wanting to pass the gum. And he's like, right. That's why you don't want right. to. You don't want to have sex. because You're just going to be chewed up, used gum that everybody's got their spittle on, you know, and it's right. the same thing. It's like your your value now is your chewed up, used gum that everybody's chewed on. And, and, and yeah, definitely. Which is like super anti-gospel. Like, oh, you know, totally. and again, it was and the so 80s and we didn't, we didn't know what we didn't know. But recover from that if she wasn't. If, if she, she was, was the chewed up gum. That's right. 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 You know, and. And she brings that into her marriage and then to get past that baggage, you know, you've created this, you know, whole thing. And I always think about, you know, the verse, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and talk about feeling condemned, you know, that's like, you can't feel more condemned in that context. And so having to um, handle all of this in such a way that we're gracious from start to finish, you know, whether it's because our kids have been sexually active or that we're trying to, you know, teach them a positive view on it. All of those things. I think it's, we can't, as parents, we can't be afraid of that. We can't be afraid that we're saying too much. So somehow maybe we're promoting this and they're going to want to go out and have sex. You know? Right, right. You have to teach it in such a way that they own it because they're not, it's not going to be important. If it's not important to them, then it's not going to be important and they're not going to care about right. it. So you have to promote it in a way that it becomes a value to them that they esteem. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we get sucked into thinking we can legislate purity. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> and especially if it's a couple that just, 
they're dating, they like each other, they're mobile in any way, right? right. Like, you yeah. know, if they have a and car. So then, yeah. They go and have sex, and then now they're going to feel shame because we tried to legislate it, and it was more about law. So then they're going to bring that shame into their a marriage eventually. Right. It just will happen. Right. Which is know? interesting because we've dealt with that too, Unless where the shame no comes conscience. in. Right, right, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> right. and, and, and some don't. Like, right. you know, yeah. some go, you know, I'm not going to let this, going to drag me right. down or whatever. But, but, but there rare. are certainly some, right? It's rare. Yeah. And so I think that's a part of the challenge too so um and there's something in there you said that i was like oh i wanted to tap oh yeah okay so uh it was interesting too when your time gets put on women because i kind of mentioned i forget it was the first or second one about how we even said like hey we're going to camp girls have to wear t-shirts so the girls have to behave so the boys can behave so we put again on the girls right and then i was thinking about how we've had instances where a couple the family finds out the couple has had sex Sometimes she ends up pregnant, sometimes not. But it was always the pressure was on, you need to make this right by getting married. Mm -hmm. But it was never if the boy had sex with the girl that he needed to make it right by marrying the girl. It was Mm -hmm. always Mm -hmm. the family of the girl that Mm -hmm. said, the only way we can make this right is you now marry the boy that you've had sex with. Or the boy that you're not even factoring in. He might be a terrible person or it might be a bad circumstance. But there was a sense of... If you did it wrong, the only way you can make it right Mm -hmm. was this, you know, you have to marry this person. And I remember it was just as I kind of reflected on those different instances we've experienced, it was always the female parents. It is. It was never the male parents. I can never think of a time it was male parents. Even though we say, no, 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 we want the same thing for our boys. It doesn't play out like that, right. you know, and so I think it, it does end up getting put on the females. Yeah, and therefore I think the mind games that go on, there's a lot more we want our girls to be pure. We want our boys to be pure, but I think we almost use a little bit more but manipulation. Boys boys, yeah, know? boys will they be boys. They help themselves. Yeah. They're visual. Yeah. They're, you know, they just, you know, it's, they have a higher sex drive. You know, we've made all these excuses and right. created these things in our own minds, and so it, we make more excuses for them than right. we do for females. Right. And, right. Yeah. And so it does put a lot more pressure then mm-hmm. on the Christian female at a lot of different levels. Yeah. So then let me get into that one. And this one's going to be a little tougher just because I don't even know if I have great answers for it. I, it's it, We're spitballing this one here. But what do you do with, because when I started this series, I was looking at a lot more like how can we help our kids going forward. I, I wasn't as focused on how do we fix the problems that we all collected for the last 40, 50 years or whatever it is. I was like, that wasn't really my emphasis. But then I had people saying, I'm not sure if this is an encouraging or discouraging podcast series because we've gone to all the marriage conferences. We've, we're just told go have sex, but we, it's all clogged up for us just emotionally, relationally, there's baggage. Da, da, da. So what do you say then, or how do you help a woman or, or a couple where they're just like, we're just super stuck. It's super awkward. We've cried a lot of tears. We've had a lot of fights. We don't ever expect it to ever be right in our marriage at this point. You know, we're, we've been married for 20 years, 30 years, whatever. It's just, there's dysfunction. And we don't even know how to, you know, put the fun in dysfunction. It's just dysfunction. And what would you say to people that just feel stuck and don't even know how to quite communicate or it's taken as personal it's taken as an attack it's because that 
I, I just feel sad for it. Like, I don't even know if I have a way to, other than to go, I empathize with that plight. Like, that seems yeah, painful. Yeah, it's, I think the only way forward in that is, especially if it's, you know, if it's both of them that have brought in different things, is for her to have somebody that she can be extremely open with and be processing this stuff with on a regular basis in some type of counseling setting, and the same for him, so that they're... Um, able to start undoing mm-hmm. this, but I think it's a it's a long and hard process, and I think it'll it would be a lot of conversations for her with um, you know a trusted female or counselor to unpack those things, and then actually have you know they always talk about with counseling you give your um, you know the your Patients, I call patients. I don't know what I call them. Patients, because yeah, you're a nurse. They're patients to me. Um, You give them homework, and I think it would be that much of you know. Here's your here's your homework lesson. This is what you're going to do. You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to you know take your husband out to dinner and wear a cute dress and tell him you're not wearing underwear. You know, I don't know. It's like um, whatever it is to help you start to get past those things, and um, you know, to start working through and enjoying and somebody giving you permission. Mm -hmm. I think you need that person speaking into your life as a female to just keep giving you permission and telling you, no, this is okay. No, this is good. Mm -hmm. No, this is okay. Because you're fighting that at every angle. And I think that then what, and to, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of work to undo all of that. And to finally get to that place where I'm okay. I'm okay. This is okay. And I'm actually enjoying this now. And there's not all of this stuff that I have to get through. Um, to get to this place. And then hopefully in time, if both parties are working on it separately, then that will start healing right. together. And then they can start communicating more and more openly. And But it is, it's putting it out there and on the table and talking about it regularly. And right. I think that's uncomfortable. Right. But you have to put yourself in a situation where you are talking about it with your spouse openly and um, figuring out ways to enjoy it and making that investment because it is an investment right. and it's a lot of, it can be a lot of work, right. but if you put that work into it, I think you'll eventually get the payout. Right. And I think it's important. I mean, you know, I always kind of wonder like the catalyst point, but I think your point is really helpful to say that you, we have to, there has to be a lot of permission giving. We have to kind of almost rewrite the conscience. Mm-hmm. I always think about like, yeah, like the Christian Jews that had to suddenly go from, you know, bacon's bad to bacon's good. And, you know, all of the things that mm-hmm. define, I mean, their identity was wrapped up mm-hmm. in circumcision and things like that. And then suddenly all of that goes away, but their conscience is like, it's whiplash. Right. It's not anywhere near that. And so I think about like Romans 14, where Paul's like, Hey, your conscience is what it is. And in one sense, he says, don't violate your conscience by going against where it's at. But in another sense, he's like, but you need to rewrite it where it's broken, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think like, even and hopefully in this podcast for anybody listening, I think what we're probably trying to say is if you're in that kind of context of a marriage and you know, you need to start having teary conversations, awkward conversations, conversations you feel are shameful to have those conversations. um, Like the first step I think we're trying to encourage is, you you do you have permission to start mm-hmm. that and those conversations aren't god dishonoring conversations i mean they would be if you're like well i'm thinking about a third person in the relationship yeah that's a bad right. idea you're just a dummy head all right like <laughs> right. i don't mean it like that i just mean or within porn into the relationship. right or bringing porn into the relationship or whatever right. else you know but and again so uncomfortable conversation like but to say you know outside of things that um degrade 
your partner or outside of things to bring in another partner visually or physically. So that covers mm-hmm. all those bases. There's nothing else that's out of bounds, Mm-mm. right? In those conversations, right? And and so again, just being a little bit more graphic, because as time gets on and people get older and things can change and whatever else, if you find that some kind of uh, toy in the relationship mm-hmm. is something that can bring pleasure to one person or the other, because there's new limitations or whatever. Like, I think people go, well, no, that's, that would be wrong. And I go, no, that's up to you and God, right. <laughs> you know, but right. it doesn't seem that, that I would say there's any place in the Bible I could find that prohibition, you know, no. whatever sexual acts or activities you want to engage in as a couple. I don't think there's any prohibitions mm-hmm. in there. And I think that's part of it is that to, you know, outside of like missionary, everything is sort of a little like, how far can I go beyond that? You know? And, and, and because even that was taught, I remember that in student ministries when mm-hmm. we were in high school, mm-hmm. it's like God made sex in such a way that we're the only creatures that are face to face when we do it. So what it implies is godly sex is only when you're face to face when yeah. you do it. So even just things mm-hmm. like that got yeah. said and people went, Oh, that or, that's the only godly right. style. And I think that that, and then it, even, you know, a friend of mine, she had a good friend who they were, her background was Mennonite. And, um, and so she and her husband or her fiance had gone to a conference before they got married that the Mennonite church had put on. And one of the main topics was the sin of oral sex. Hmm. And, you know, she walked away from that. And I remember my friend just being like, um, where did they get that? You know, like, how is that? You know, and I, but I think it's, again, it's all these things that we, you know, that the world has corrupted somehow in our minds. And so then they must be corrupt and they're not, they belong right. to God right. and he takes pleasure in oral sex, believe right. it or not right. in the right context within marriage. If it's being enjoyed, if someone's right. not being demeaned and it's mutual, you right. know? And, and so it's, again, that goes back to that permission giving. This is okay. This is good. Right. This is right. God is, takes pleasure in your pleasure in this. This is what he designed you for. He's smiling in this moment. You know, he is because you're doing what you were, he created you to do and you're enjoying his creation, one another. And, you know, so it's just that giving that message over and over and over again to try to undo and rewrite what's been written. Right. Yeah. And I think that's going to continue to kind of be that big challenge. Right. So I think for the people that just were heavily written on. And now they're in marriages where there's just enough mm-hmm. discomfort in conversation, discomfort in activity. I do. I mean, I think for those people, I just have a unique level of kind of hurt for, because I know mm-hmm. there's hurt for both parties for different mm-hmm. reasons. And all of that goes back to whatever it was, you know, something your parents said, something a person said, something you did that you regret. I mean, just any number of factors come to that. And now you're just, it's this crazy big ball of yarn and you just don't know how to move forward. And and because it is such an intimate thing, when that's healthy, your relationship is healthy in all the other ways too. It right. really, and so for couples that are missing out on that, um, they're n- maybe feeling, you know, something in their relationship they is not connected right. They feel a little disconnected or, um, you know, it's just not what it could be. They're not as satisfied. And if you can work on these things and have these things be a center point and, and those be important values in your marriage and, and sex be that important value in a positive way, it's going to 
fix your relationship in a lot of other ways too. It right. spills over into more than you realize. And right. and suddenly you're enjoying your partner in a whole different way and they're special to you in a whole different way. And and so that makes me sad too because I feel like these couples are missing out on this you know, different level of marriage, you know, they're being robbed of that because of what, you know, they, how, how they have been written on, whether it's by their family or the church, you know, culture, you know, whatever. And, um, and so it really does affect the entire relationship. You can't, you will never have that, you know, what God intended unless you work on this. And so it should be a priority. You can't just say, you know, oh, well, you know, we have sex once in a while, once a month. That's enough. That's just not a part of our marriage. Well, then you're not sharing true intimacy and it isn't what it could be. And you're missing right. out because it's so much more right. when you have that, um, you know, enjoyment, playfulness, intimacy together, that connection mm-hmm. um, in this because it's it's technically it feels private. So when you have that private thing right. together, right. it makes you even more right connected in one because that's your thing right you know this right. is your thing that you guys share together right your fun that only the two of you have right and, right you know and right. so you know it it makes me sad that you know that people are robbed of that because it really does affect the marriage as a whole right and so maybe i mean this is just i just thought about it just now but maybe even for some couples because they go we don't even know how to start where to start with this topic maybe it's even finding a counselor that specializes in sexual Definitely. therapy or sexual counseling or whatever else. Cause I find so often in any counseling environment, it almost helps to have the coach there in essence. You know what I mean? So like when a couple is just having marital strife, they can say things in front of the coach and the coach can kind of divvy out mm-hmm. the parts and it feels safer and healthier than if you just sat the two down to talk about their problems at the kitchen counter. Right. And maybe it's something similar. Like it may not be, Your first best step may not even be that the two of you tried to talk about it. Your first best step may be we need to find a sexual therapist or which I'm going to give permission to. I know that some Christians are like, no, you're going to go to a sex therapist. They're a bunch of disbelieving (laughs) Satan lovers that drink the blood of puppies or whatever. I'm like, but they they are really helpful in a lot of ways. And they're not trying to make a couple go beyond the boundaries of what a couple is. And if you go into one of them and you could probably find one that's a Christian or you let them know I'm a Christian and these are our values. Here's where we're at. They'll work within those Yeah, We're not going to use porn. We're not going to do, but we need to talk through our, our hairball here. Your value system will be important to them and they'll take that into consideration for sure. And you just bring that in. But yeah, there was, I can't remember one of the stories in sheet music too. He talks about this couple trying to, they were trying to do something new and different. I don't remember. (laughs) And somehow they, they fell on the floor, like, and like there was a big thud, and I think the kids were like downstairs. They're like, <laughs> "What's going on? Is everything okay?" You know, and and they were laughing about it. But it's even that that if you can get to that place where you're so comfortable with one another right. that you're. It, the, it could be funny. Yeah, we've it made jokes. We're like, well, it that didn't it, work. Right. Yeah, like it's <laughs> that just, was funny in my head, right. <laughs> but it does not play out in the real world of physics. Right. right. Yep. So I think, um, and that he's really good about talking about that in the book. And that's a great place to start is that book sheet music. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, that, you know, it, if you're looking for something, you know, you reading that can get you 
you know, you can start there. Mm -hmm. And then if you feel like you need counseling or whatever, but he talks and covers a lot of those things about having that. And, and that's the thing is like, that's the fun that you can have with your spouse that you have with no one else, you know? And that's what I think makes it so special. And it's because it's your thing. It's your special thing. And that is going to cause you to feel connected to your spouse even more um, because it's just between the two of you. You're not that way with any other person, you know, hopefully (laughs) you are. That's a whole nother problem. That's a whole different problem. Uh, But you know that. And so that is not holiness. (laughs) That is not love and mercy and justice. And so how special is that, that this is your thing that you two can have fun with and enjoy and figure out. And um, you know, so then you're just all the more connected. Right. So one last question, and it's sort of related to this one, because we've been talking about couples trying to start conversations that maybe haven't been there, create openness or whatever else, or expand the borders, that kind of thing. So what if you're a parent and you have a 15 year old and you're like, I've never had these conversations. This freaks me out right now. Like I see the case you've made. It would be sensible to do that, but I'm petrified. How would you encourage parents that are maybe like, I'm all clammed up. We're clammed up as a couple. We don't want that to happen to our 15-year-old kid. So we've had one birds and the bees talk, and what that was was all in code. You know what I mean? So how do you help a parent to engage suddenly getting comfortable with making this a regular conversation? It's going to be hard, and you're going to have to be And your kid's probably going to be like... And your kid's going to freak out (laughs) that you're suddenly talking about this, and that has to be okay. Push past that. Let them be weirded out by by it, but don't let them see your discomfort. You have to come into it confidently and like, you know, I just realized that this is, and we're going to talk about this, and it doesn't be, don't make it weird. Like, I want to have a conversation with you, and so let's set up a time, and I'm going to sit you down, (laughs) and we're going to, you know, start just off the cuff, throwing some things out there, joking around about some things so that it becomes, and then use those opportunities when you find them maybe driving in the car somewhere and you have your kid in the car and you can Mm -hmm. just you know whatever um talk with them but not you you want to make it the least amount of awkward for them as well for the kid because if you're you know sitting them down and saying we need to have a talk then they're going to feel awkward because anytime mom and dad says we're going to sit down and have a talk they're awkward (laughs) no matter what it is and so um i think just looking for those opportunities to make it more um, natural Mm -hmm. and just part of the conversation right. at dinner time, you know, whatever at right. the table, you know, even though they're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're saying that saying, well, no, we're, we need to, you know, this is whatever, you know, just saying it anyways. And right. whether they're blushing or like, I can't believe that right. you know, I right. can't hear this from yeah. you, you know, or yeah. TMI, you know, whatever, just keep, keep saying it, keep yeah. doing it. Cause that's going to be a gift that you're actually giving them. Right. And, and maybe if I build into that too, one of the things we had talked about a lot is when we make mistakes as parents, that one of the most powerful things we can do is say, will you forgive me? I didn't handle something right. As a parent, we say that to our kids and you can even start it off that way. Like, you know what? I've kind of neglected bringing this topic up because I was insecure. I'm sure, you know, like just being transparent yeah, even with maybe definitely. why you've been neg- or I didn't realize how important it was. So forgive me. So yeah, this is going to start a little awkward. I get it. Cause this is, a new conversation for us, but I want to make this a regular part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Now I want to build on to this. So I only had more question, but I got a little bit more extension to it because it made me think about it more. And it's our no flinch rule, which yes. is as you're creating, it's not a monologue, right? So you're starting to create dialogue. So let's say you find out your daughter's looking at pornography because increasingly mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, or your son's looking at pornography instead of it being 
that's disgusting or you should be ashamed or I'm embarrassed by you or what it's the no flinch rule. It is. They're trying to get answers to questions. Their bodies are going through all kinds of crazy mechanics. Right. And if we don't flinch as parents, but we come alongside as fellow sinners that say we all have weaknesses, curiosities, drives, whatever else, but I need to coach this in the right direction. And therefore it's not about the purity impurity element as much as it's about the holiness element. You can step in and even coach to that or uh, so I'm making a lot of statement and I feel like there's a question somewhere buried in this. Hopefully you can just build off of it. Um, or if you have a 16 year old and you find a text that says they're gay or they're lesbian or they're sending pictures to somebody of the same right. sex. So, I mean, there's all these things that parents are going to, in fact, deal with mm-hmm. and are dealing with. And then your job is to be a coach and all of that stuff. To me, then the no flinch rule becomes really important if you want to coach them versus shame them. So Absolutely. what do you say to a parent then that's going to come across all the things that, you know, again, we're going to say like, yeah, that's not that's not the road I'm anticipating or that's not mm-hmm. the thing I expected or pornography is bad or you know, any of the list mm-hmm. of things that you're going to come across with your kid. Now you have to have the conversation or maybe the kid's coming to you and saying, I need to talk to you about this. A, why is not flinching so important? <laughs> and B, uh, like, what do you th- see as the primary job of the parent in dealing with all of those things that you didn't anticipate you'd probably have to deal with. Mm-hmm. You find out your son's sleeping with his girlfriend. You find out they're looking at porn. You find out they're gay. You find any number of things, right? <laughs> what do you do? First off, it's not about you. Mm, that's really good. Because we make it about us. Somehow we failed as a parent. Our child's not pure now. They're not what we planned. You know, we all these things, we were going to raise them this way. They were going to be this way because our kids are ours. We feel like they're ours, but they're not. And so you have to put yourself out of it completely and not let it be about you or your emotions, that you're mm-hmm. disappointed, that you're, um, you know, uh, not as happy with the circumstances that now you're sad that your kid isn't this way or that way or behaving this way or that way. You cannot let it be about you. It has to be what's best for the child. And so I have to get my emotions out of the way, which is really hard as a parent because it forever it's been all about us and right. you know even and i think we do idolize our kids in a lot of ways and so we get a lot of value from hmm. how our kids you know turn out and you know we take pride in that and you know it's and and so that feeds something in us so then when it's broken quote unquote you know then then it's like wait a minute this is not my the way i saw things this wasn't how it was going to be this isn't and so one of the things that matt has always said, which I think is super valuable and really helpful is to treat them like the neighbor kid down the street, Hmm. which you have to remove yourself one, you know, step by looking at them and treating them that way, because then you don't have any skin in the game. It's not personal for you and you can't let it be personal. And it's more about what's best for this precious human being image bearer that God has put in your path that is sharing these things with you and, and not flinching about it and, and being open, you know? And so if they come home and they're talking about something that came up at school that somebody was talking about and you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this is coming out of my child's mouth, yeah. you know, whatever you can't be that way. You just have to be like, Oh, okay. And ask lots of questions. Well, what did you think? You know, right. like, 
were you comfortable with that? Or, you know, do you think that's right? You know, whatever. And, and I think working hard to not give too much advice, um, but to get them thinking about these things and asking really good thinking questions in these conversations and then gently, modeling and guiding them in a direction, you know, and letting them know, I'm here if you want to talk more. Um, But you're not going to, you know, again, when you're looking at a 15 year old, uh, strangely enough, they're grown up, you know, like culture has, we increasingly have pushed the age out, but but, you know, in most cultures, (laughs) I can't remember what show I was watching and it was about a young man or it was a story about a young man who he left home at 12 because he wanted to go out on his own (laughs) and and he was going to sell newspapers or do something. And this was from, you know, years ago. And, um, and I'm reading this. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. A 12 year old ventured out. Right. And, but they did, they did that back in the, you know, teens and twenties and, you know, thirties, it wasn't uncommon for kids to be living on the street that young, you know, and that sort of thing, trying to during the depression and different things. And so we would look at that and we'd be appalled, but it's just that reminder that they're more adult than we realize. Mm -hmm. And so you have to remember you're dealing with quote unquote, an adult so that you're speaking to them and speaking into them in a way that you realize that you just have influence and you don't have control and you cannot, you know, cajole them or shame them or say enough things to change their mind necessarily. You have to present it in a way that it be, it somehow becomes important to them and they have to own it because if it's not important to them and if they're not going to own it, then they're not going to follow through with that. They're going to make a different choice right. and it may be something yeah. different than you like. And that's okay too. Even though it may be wrong, then you get to f- help figure out how to help them navigate this when they do that. Right. As opposed to you've let me down. This will never be the same. You know, now your view. We raised you different uh, than this. Right. We, and right, so right. your view of your child, because again, you're making that all about you again. And right. it, and I speaking from experience, because I've had all those same feelings with my own kids. And it's this constant thing of having to get myself out of the way. And, and just, this is not about me. This is about if I were a godly Christian woman speaking to another young kid, you know, right. and, and how would I speak to them? How would I encourage them? You know, and I, you think about it, you, you would say a lot less right. yeah. to that other kid yeah. and you would, you know, kind of tread lightly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really a good thing to think about because I think sometimes we say too much right. um, to our kids when it comes to, you know, if they've made a mistake or they're talking about something that we don't like or, you know, whatever. And um, I think we should tread a little more lightly in that area. And because we have to trust that God loves our kids more than we do. And if he's working something out in there, then he's going to work it out. And they have to come to those things on their own. And they are going to do things that are going to be painful to watch and be a part of, and maybe conversations even because you have created that open communication. Those conversations may be even more uncomfortable for you at times, but they can't know that. And, you know, and that's, you have to see that as a blessing that you that they're bringing you into their world and so then you have right. to tread lightly in their world yeah i think that's an excellent point because it's like it's tough enough to get your kids to talk with you so if they actually start opening up and then you 
you use control instead of influence mm-hmm. or you decide right. you're going to give a lecture to reinforce something mm-hmm. you want to be, you're they're just going to close that no, door back they are and they know all mom and, and dad this are gonna is talk. why they're going to go to the school counselor who isn't a believer and has different views that may encourage them another way that you wouldn't right. you know or give them advice that you wouldn't but they're going to feel safer with them right and so you're you know, out of desperation and fear, you know, because you're we're wanting to control, um, you know, then you're closing that door, like Matt said, and then you're pushing them to somebody else, peers. Yeah. In know, fact, you're almost accelerating adult. it because right. if they feel kind of rejected by you, yes. they're going to want to be reinforced. They want to be blown back up. If they're ballooning, you deflated right. them. Somebody else is going to they're going to go find a flu you know, fill them up and it's going to be another parent that's maybe more progressively minded. It's going to be a counselor. It's going to be any number of factors, right? Right. And I think, and they're going to, they're going to check and see how far they can push sometimes. And they might be, you know, testing the waters to see, can I say this? And is mom going to, or dad going to freak out if I say this or if I share this or, you know, whatever. So they're testing those waters too, to see if you're safe. Right. And as soon as you're not safe, then they're going to go find somebody who is safe. Right. And then you've lost that opportunity to be that influencer in their life. And so I know it feels wrong because you've spent your whole life trying to protect this child and to keep bad things from happening to them. But you just have to remember they're no longer a child. And once they are a teenager, they're making decisions based on, you know, their own, you know, adult quote unquote thinking and you have influence you do not have control and so you um just work hard so that you can be there to encourage them or be the person that's there when they make a bad decision and it goes sideways and you know and that you you are that safe place because it's going to happen i mean we've all done it you know why do we think that you know I mean, there's very few people out there that lived a perfect, you right. know, life and that didn't struggle with any of those things. So why do we think our kids are not going right. to struggle? So why can't we just be human and allow them to be human and be there for them and and then point them to, you know, the to Jesus in a way that is, you know, more powerful and encouraging as opposed to heaping on burdens too heavy to bear or um, provoking your children like the Bible talks about, you know, then it becomes all of those things instead of that message of grace. And we want to give that message of grace to our kids so they understand it. So this is part of them experiencing grace and you're giving them grace by not reacting, by being gracious. Right. Yeah. I think it's important because it reminds me of like Hebrews, two and four when you tie them together where i think even if we're trying to figure out how can i be like jesus to my kids well to be like jesus to your kids is a jesus who says hey i understand human temptation i was tempted in every way just without sin and because of that you go to chapter four and he says that's why you can approach the the throne of grace with boldness Mm -hmm. to find mercy and comfort in your time of need Mm -hmm. i mean so the whole thing is wired toward jesus isn't so you can come to the throne shamefully and i can pardon you after you've groveled Mm -hmm. He's like, no, I know how hard it is to be human. You know, I was God and temptation was rough and I didn't sin and temptation was hard. So if I have that, you know, I get the bonus being God, you know, but in a human body with all of its limitations, it's hard. So all the more for us. And therefore, as parents, we're supposed to be more like Jesus and less like Moses. And I think that's what happens is I think we and we know it like none of us have ever been lectured into heart change ever. 
And then we think for some reason we can lecture our kid into heart right. change. And then we leverage a lot of laws. And this is why I go back to, I think the binary vision of purity and impurity fails us because the real thing is holiness. Mm-hmm. And then it, what am I going to do with my kid that I look and I go, they've done something that was not my vision for their life. What's the best thing for me to do? Well, if I treat them in a spirit of holiness and I act like Jesus, then it's, I'm going to love them in mercy mm-hmm. and justness. And with that, I'm going to say, I know what it's like to be weak. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to be tempted. Come to this throne of, of grace and you can come boldly, son or daughter. Like, I want you to come boldly to me and you're going to find mercy in your time of need. Like, right. like if that just became our framework, we really wanted to be like Jesus. But I think you're right. I think we get our it's own repu- yeah, our own mm-hmm. reputation into it, our own or personal sense of success or other failure. people think, yeah. you know, which is Or really is this hard. permissive sounding, which is right. a big one, I think. Right. We've yeah. talked about that. No, I was talking with somebody the other day and they were saying, you know, part of the problem as Christians is we're more worried about are we sinning by being permissive than we are really about that person. Right. So we've put that, we've elevated that above that person. And I was like, that's absolutely 100% correct. And we need to not worry about that and love that person. And I think about that, you know, I was reading the book Gentle and Lowly because it was taught, and I think Matt shared this about the, um, how that's the only place that Jesus actually describes himself and it's gentle and lowly. And it's the, you know, take my yoke because it's easy and light, you know, and, um, and you can find rest and for you your can souls. find rest for your souls. And I love that because when your child comes to you, does their soul feel more rested? Or are they, do they have more angst? Right, right. And I think that's a good thing to think about is, am I bringing rest to my child's soul Hmm. in this moment? And if you're not, you might double think your, your, uh, um, your plan (laughs) and what you're doing. And, and that's why I think the less is more like, I I don't think we need to say as much, you know, Matt and I have a lot of these conversations about, you know, stuff like even when we're dealing with stuff with our son and, um, and I'm like, well, I feel like I just need to tell him. And Matt's like, no, no, he knows you don't need to tell him. He already knows that you're going to have more power in praying for him. And it's so true. And I think, and so having those conversations with your spouse or another friend and telling them what you would like to say (laughs) is way more valuable than saying those things to your child. And it's holding your tongue a lot because they know they, you know, you've already raised them with these things. You've, you know, they know better it's between them and God and they're going to have to figure it out and you can't do it for them. This is their walk with God. Right. And, um, and you just have to not let it be personal and not, and get yourself out of the way and just, treat them as once removed like it was somebody else's kid not your kid right so that you don't have that um dog in the fight so much because then it becomes about you and i think you know and so then you aren't giving them rest for their souls yeah and And you're not going to give them gospel or grace right it's not going to be the true message of jesus and they're not going to want jesus Mm -hmm. you know because that's going to be jesus is going to be you know all the negative things to them instead of the positive things right so I think I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to wrap it up with what the title of the podcast is. Not this particular one, but the whole series. I mean, it's the Everyday Missionary. And I think as parents and as Christians and everything else, I think we have to shift our focus. I think we've tried to play like uh, lawyers and scribes and Pharisees. Like we've tried to play all those parts when it comes to sexuality within our culture. And especially more than ever now, we have to just be missionaries. 
you know, we have to be missionaries uh, to our world to give them a, a sense of what a healthy, dynamic sexual life is, as God intended. We, so we need to speak into the facts of it and the details of it and the reclaiming of it. I think with our kids, we have to be missionaries, which means a missionary is different than, mm-hmm. you know, a scribe or a Pharisee. A missionary realizes that they have to operate within the context they're in. They can't thrust their own context over the top of the climate and call themselves a missionary. That's not, that's some kind of weird Christian imperialism, right? Missionaries realize that, hey, you got to give and take if you're going to really reach into a person's heart and soul. And I think that's the thing I realized even in earlier in the podcast where I talked about, hey, part of educating your kids is also educating them in the things if they don't hold your values, you want to teach them about birth control. You want to teach them about contraception. You want to teach them about these things. And I know some people have been bothered by it because they're like, that's just being permissive. And I go, no, that's being a missionary in a real climate mm-hmm. where if I could control what all of our kids did, that would be great. But what I also know is all of the data behind how many of our kids are already engaged in this. And I know the data behind how many of our kids are engaged in this, get pregnant and have abortions. And oh, so it's absolutely. a it's a big thing like we and, and they feel like if I almost like they're taught, like, because this is wrong, but I want right. to do it. I won't go get a condom right. because that feels sinful to go get the condom. But then in the moment we're making out next thing, you know, our clothes are well, off and everything else. And, and we haven't equipped them for failing well, even like right. it's weird. Well, like it's and for me, the other bigger issue is um, STIs, you know. Oh, here comes the nurse. (laughs) Right. And I mean, my kids got pictures. They got details. (laughs) They got, I showed them all the yucky, you know, stuff that can come from, because I wanted them to know. And that's a huge thing too, because that can cause infertility. That can, and, you know, and so in some ways you're like, well, that's a consequence for them, you know, doing whatever. Yeah. But if you can avoid that, it's like the kids, they need to be educated. They need to be equipped. And then they also need to be given the message of Jesus and the gospel in a powerful way so that that's what's going to drive them. Their relationship is G- with Jesus is going to cause them to make good choices, not, you know, these other yeah, things. Yeah, I didn't tell them about this. I didn't, yeah, right. It, you're not, you're going to lose. I'm just, you're, you will lose that battle if that's what you're, you know, aiming for. And then they're going out into the world unequipped and they're going to end up with, you know, an STI or uh, um, an unplanned pregnancy. pregnancy. And then again, coming out of a religious background, that's right. And I honestly, I know a lot of kids who've had abortions and um, STIs and their parents never knew about it, Right. you know, because, and they had to go to somebody else for that help. And wouldn't you want to be the one taking your kid to the doctor and being a part of that um, instead of somebody else? But they will find that other person that they trust because um, they're, you know, you've created an environment where they're fear- fearful to come to you. And again, that's that no flinch thing. And so, you know, I know it seems hard in your mind because it's like, yeah, but we need to elevate purity. Well, it's true, but then there's all this other stuff that comes with it. And so we also need to equip our kids. And so that's what it was always like, you know, here's, here's God's best. Like this is in a perfect world, you know, this is how, uh, you know, marriage is beautiful when two person people come into the marriage and they've saved themselves, you know, for one another and, you know, all that stuff that you can still, talk about those things and you can give them then. And if you find yourself in this situation, here's 
what you need to know. Right. You know, this is what, why you want to protect yourself. These are STIs. This is, you know, you don't want an unplanned pregnancy, you know, whatever. Cause you know, I can't make all your decisions. I'm not following you around everywhere. I'm not with you every second of every day. That's between you and God and let them know that I trust you. This is between you and God. And I trust that you're going to, you know, figure this out with him and give him that. Cause that can be an empowering message to the child too, in a way that, wow, my mom and dad trust me, you know, that I'm going to figure out and motivate them to want to do the quote unquote right thing. Um, and so all that stuff has power, but if you're, if it's all coming from a negative perspective and then you're not equipping them either, then you've lost and they're going somewhere else for that, you know, they're, and, and if something bad happens, they're going to have somebody else, you know. Yeah. I know that, you know, of a young woman who got pregnant and didn't tell her family. And um, she went to her dance teacher. And her dance teacher took her to get an abortion. And her family never knew. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's those kinds of things that those are the things that are going to happen. Right. And how sad, you know, that that would go down that way as opposed to, you know, you being the one who equipped them for something. Right. And I know that gets awkward. And I'm sure there's some listening that already are like, nope, nope, I'm out. I can't go down that road or whatever else. And this is why I just go back to if you look at the lives of missionaries, it's all uh, a, a thing of like we meet people where they're at. That's what a missionary does. And again, it's very different than a lawyer, a scribe or a Pharisee. But I think. That's almost what we have to do, especially in the current climate we have where our kids are leaving the church more. You know, they they they're saying, you know what, it doesn't solve my deepest spiritual needs there. So they're already making these other decisions. And I guarantee you some of this stuff is going to come in the context of those decisions. There's no reason for your kid to go like, I don't know about Jesus, but I'm going to keep myself a virgin. You know, I mean, it's like it's realistically if we see our kids starting to kind of just wean away from the faith a little bit. You want to have them equipped for some of this stuff because I guarantee you the, some of the most amazing Christian people end up going beyond lines that they draw for themselves when and, it comes to this realm. So how much more somebody that isn't taking their faith as seriously, how mm-hmm. the high odds of this are they're just incredibly high. Mm-hmm. And I always go back to being pro-life people. I go, part of this is it's why I don't want unplanned pregnancies. Like I would rather take the hit and be like, I'd rather you do this than you end up with an unplanned pregnancy because the only thing that drives abortion is an unplanned pregnancy. (laughs) So like if you're really pro-life, you would want all the measures in place to try to keep that from happening as much as possible. And so that's my pragmatism that comes out a little bit, but, but I think there is value in that, especially if you're looking at kids that don't seem to have a serious, robust, just on fire. And I even think I take it to, we're all wired so differently. Sure. Some people are naturally obedient people. They just want to follow the rules. They just, that's their, how God wired them. And for whatever reason, and then some people are rule breakers, you know, that's the, like that comes very naturally to them. And, and so even with your kid, I think that's why you see like with David in the Bible or Paul saying, I do the very things I do not want to do. Why would we think our kids would be immune from that? They're going to fall into those same things. And so, um, again, it's that they need the same grace that we need. Why right, would it right. be any different? And and then also realizing that you might have a child who, because they are more of a natural rule follower, they're, they seem to make better choices and their life goes better. And you can't 
elevate that child over the child who is making all the bad decisions, right, right. you know, or doing the crazy stuff. You've got to love them equally and not be like, oh, well, this child, you know, they were good and they did and be more proud of that child. And, you know, and then the other child, because you, they'll feel that too, right. you know, and again, part of it is it's hardwired into them how they're going to be. And some are going to struggle with sin more than others. Right. And so you want to meet them where they're at and how, you know, God designed them because he gave you these kids and, you know, they're all different. Right. And, and so again, it's, if you're, if they're feeling like they're not measuring up, then that's going to be even worse for that child. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that, <laughs> see, I've, I've kept you so long. Uh, I finally made you cough. So. <laughs> yeah. So, well, no, this has been awesome. I mean, all the way around. So I feel like I, we should go out on a date now. I feel like <laughs> you've earned, you've earned your keep. I think we're going to go try to find me a new suit today. I, and which is weird. People listening, they're like, Matt doesn't wear a suit. Ha, Matt does weddings. So Matt wears a suit. Uh, so I think we're going to go find a suit today, take our son out to dinner tonight uh, and do that kind of thing. But I've been able to kind of capitalize on my sweet wife here to give us some thoughts, which has been awesome. Like, honestly, you did great. You were worried about getting in trouble. You haven't done anything to get anybody <laughs> in trouble. So, so big thanks to my wife for sharing and also too I mean if you have any questions that came out of this uh, feel free to reach out so you know my email address is matt m-a-t-t at i-a-m-r-c dot org Uh, and if you have any questions that are maybe toward Ellen even like I can forward those along and maybe we can do some kind of follow-up if we get any questions we may not get any questions at all but if we do we'd be happy to do kind of a follow-up impromptu podcast that just tries to address some of those things because we know they're they're real sticky deals i mean all the way around doesn't matter what you're dealing with there's all sorts of different variations in this conversation uh that can be challenging and it just brings me back to what this whole podcast is all about it's figuring out how to take the real stuff of life the challenges the problems the beauty the blessings and figure out how we can be even better everyday missionaries